0: You are listening to a Writers at Stanton podcast. Every month, Stanton Library hosts some of the world's most exciting writers and thinkers to discuss their latest books. Thank you for joining us. Gentlemen, on behalf of North Sydney Council and the Constant Reader Bookshop, welcome to the Library and the Writers at Stanton program. Before we begin the proceedings, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands in which we meet, and to pay our respects to the spirits and ancestors, both past and present. My name's Margaret Nicholson, and I'm the Program Support Librarian from the Customer Service Team. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Alexandra Smith, here to talk about her new book, The Secret, which tells the inside story of the dramatic last weeks of Berejiklian's premiership, and examines the political decisions and personal sacrifices that characterised her early days in public life, her rise to the top and her eventual downfall. Alexandra is the state political editor of the Sydney Morning Herald and has covered four state elections and several federal elections. She's an award-winning journalist, including a Walkie Award. She's worked for The Guardian in London and is a regular political commentator on ABC Radio and TV. She's also the president of the New South Wales Press Gallery. Please give a warm welcome
1: to Alexandra Smith. Thanks, Margaret. Um, thank you very much. It's great to be here. And I apologise to any of you who ha- had to reschedule and come along again, as is the way in 2022. Uh, some All our best laid plans often get... Um, derailed by COVID but um, I'm glad that I could be back here and it's I'm really happy to talk about this book and to talk about Gladys Berejiklian because as a political reporter I've been writing about Gladys Berejiklian since about 2007 so I've covered a lot of her political career particularly in Macquarie Street. Um, As I've been doing some of these talks about the book since it was released I found that there are probably about three or four questions that I always get asked. So I'm going to beat you to it and I'm going to address some of those um, questions because as I've discovered, as I've been thinking more about the book, even though obviously uh, you know I, I've, I've spent many months writing it and then I've also been doing some publicity, there are still some things that I've had time to reflect on um, and so I thought I would talk about some of those today. Um, one of the first questions which makes me laugh but I get all the time about this book is why did I start a political biography with a quote from the Kardashians? Now, um, you may know the Kardashians or you may not. For those who don't, let me give you a very quick rundown. They are probably America's most famous celebrity family. They're worth billions. They have had a uh, very, very uh, popular and very successful reality TV show called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, And why they're significant to Gladys Berejiklian, there's two reasons. Uh, One, first of all, although we don't know a lot about uh, Gladys, and she's been a very close. book. One thing she often revealed in sort of interviews that we would do um, from time to time with when she was either Premier or Treasurer, she would talk about her interest in reality TV. And it was one little glimpse that we got into who Gladys was and what she did in her spare time. She didn't give us much more, but one thing we knew was that she loved to come home after, you know a very, I'm sure, taxing day, either on Macquarie Street or in the the government towers, and just chill out in front of reality TV. And I kind of think that's quite sweet, and I think it's quite nice to know that, you know, we've all got our our vices, that was Gladys's. Um, So the quote that I start with is, I've chosen to keep things closer to my heart until I figure it out. I love hard, I love who I love, and I don't make any qualms about it. Chloe Kardashian. Now, all the Kardashians tend to have names that start with K, Chloe being spot with K, Courtney, Kim, they go on. Um, but there's another really important reason why the Kardashians are significant, and it's not just because they happen to have um, a fun reality TV show about their crazy lives, it's because they're Armenian. And Gladys Berejiklian, as you would know, is also Armenian, and her Armenian heritage is very important to her. It's what's driven her from a little girl all the way through to her time at becoming leader of of the government in New South Wales and interestingly which is probably not as well known as the Kardashians for their kind of reality TV show and just being famous but um, they are Armenian and also very proud of their Armenian heritage. They have an incredible social media following. Um, Kim Kardashian, who I think is sort of the, the biggest of the, the... most popular and most well-known in the family, um, has about 270 million Instagram followers. I have 300, just to, you know. And... Um, but she uses that social media following to really advance the Armenian cause and to really talk about... Um, the diaspora which is, is really spread across the world and so while on one hand you know the Kardashians are kind of just a a fun sort of gossipy celebrity thing that we th- See more in sort of glossy, trashy magazines. They also actually really care about the Armenian community, and that's something that they share with um, with Gladys. And I think so. That's when we decided when my editor and I talked about what would be a nice quote, we landed on that. And little did I know that it would raise so much interest when people opened the book. But that is why um, a quote like that starts my political um, biography. Um, So I guess the next question is, why did I write the book? And it won't surprise you probably to know that this is an unauthorised biography. Um, I did, of course, approach Gladys Berejiklian and asked her to be involved, which was obviously the appropriate and right thing to do. Um, She politely declined, um, which didn't surprise me. And To be fair to to Gladys, um, when I first got this book deal, it was not very long after her um, resignation from Parliament. Now, we've just passed the one-year mark. She she resigned on the 1st of October last year, Um, so it's just been a year, and obviously I started writing this book very close to when she resigned and I think it was very raw to her and I can understand why she didn't want to be involved. It is also just not who Gladys Berejiklian is. She never liked talking about herself. Um, You know she she was a very um, private person and often spoke about being a private person Um, but the reason I thought a book about Gladys Berejiklian was important was very simple and it's not because of any salacious gossipy reasons about what happened in her love life. It is simply because I think she has a great story to tell. And, you know, I think anybody who goes into public life probably has to accept that their moment in history is likely to be documented, and I think that's really important. And I think Gladys Berejiklian's moment in history was really important to be documented because, of course, she led us through one of the most incredible times, Um, you know, a -a once-in-a-generation pandemic that you know, we've come to live with now and it doesn't seem anywhere near as shocking. But if you take your mind back to March 2020, when we first heard about this little-known virus that had slipped in from China then into our country, into New South Wales, other states, and it would change our lives lives like we never expected. And, of course, Gladys Berejiklian was at the front of that response and she became, you know, vital to um, guiding us through through some pretty tough times. So um, while I think the downfall of Gladys Berejiklini was quite shocking and, of course, it made the whole story even more interesting, I didn't write the book because she dated a dud and went out with the wrong man. I wrote the book because I thought it was really important to document someone who really achieved so much, whether you like her politics or not, I think it's hard to deny that we had... um Daughter of uh, Armenian immigrants who started school at North Ride Public School, not being able to speak a word of English, um, worked so hard through, um, you know, some pretty standard public schools. She didn't go to the sort of schools that a lot of her uh, liberal contemporaries went to, very elite private schools. She just went to the local public school and worked really hard to get into university um, and, to to be honest, to make her parents um, proud because as is the case, with whether it be the Kardashians or the Berejiklians family, is really, really important to the Armenian community. Obviously, um, their history through the 1915 uh, genocide, as they describe it, although I, I do acknowledge that that is disputed um, by the Turks. But um, you know, I think that really is what makes family so important to the Armenian community um, so Gladys Berger you know always wanted to make her parents very proud so she worked very hard she was very driven um, and it's really an incredible story I think of somebody who made such ground throughout her you know through just working hard first of all you know into the young liberals then Against the odds, becoming the young Liberal President. Um, There'd only been one female young Liberal President before her. Then, of course, getting into Parliament. Um, I think it's a very interesting um, fact to know that she only just made it into Parliament in 2003. She won by 144 votes. Um, Over the years, of course, she made Willoughby a very safe seat. at the beginning she made it a very marginal seat and only just managed to win it but she did and she worked through parliament worked through her time in parliament first in opposition under Barry O'Farrell as her leader and then as she went through to to be government the first female uh, transport minister the first female uh, treasurer and then of course the first popularly elected female um, premier so There is a great story there to tell but of course we can't um, deny that what ended her career was a terrible mistake and that mistake was a secret that she kept for many many years Um, and spoiler alert there is nothing salacious or gossipy or new about Gladys Berejiklian's relationship with Daryl Maguire. Everything that's in the book is in terms of that is in the public domain because I think it was largely surprising and shocking for Everybody, as it, wa- as it was. I mean, I still remember when um, Gladys Berejiklian was on the witness list, just the witness list for ICAC, um, in October 2020. And we were all so surprised. It was an inquiry into Daryl Maguire. And we, all of us in the New, pa- New South Wales Press Gallery, thought it would be the most boring appearance. Um, we assumed Gladys Berejiklian would stand up and say, yeah, he was a bad egg. I got him out. Of my- out of my... Um, party room as quickly as I could I encouraged Barry O'Farrell to get him out of parliament you know that's what we expected so much so that as any self-respecting political editor would do I went to David Jones that morning when she appeared leaving it to some of my junior reporters to cover of course I was in the makeup counter and I've never fled a shop so quickly as my phone lit up and my my junior reporter was saying to me she was with him And I had, you know, it took ages for the penny to drop for everybody and then it was absolute shock. Not just for reporters like me who was expecting a very, um, you know, a very banal appearance, but for her family and her friends. Nobody, nobody knew that she had been in this relationship. And now, of course, anybody's entitled to have a relationship and it does not need to be public. I am not for a minute suggesting that. But when you're in a relationship as leader or in a position of power, whether you're in a cabinet um, and you are, you know, in a relationship with someone of your own, you know, one of your own, particularly somebody who had to leave the party and the the parliament under a cloud of corruption, um, uh, you know, under a corruption cloud, sorry, I really think that there was no other option but for Gladys to declare that relationship because... There was nothing to lose by it Um, she didn't have to make any big public declaration I'm not suggesting for a second any of us needed to know beyond probably just Mike Baird who was her premier at the time um, who said when he appeared before ICAC had she just come to him and said you know quietly perhaps I need you to know this is something going on in my personal life then perhaps that conflict could have been managed and I maintain that um, I really think that that was a major failing. I mean, we're all flawed, but I think that was a major failing of, of Gladys Berejiklian because um, when you're in public office, whether you like it or not, you do have to, you have certain standards that you have to meet. Gladys also set the rules herself and she made it very clear that if any of her own um, MPs or ministers came under any sort of scrutiny from any integrity agencies they would not be able to stay on in her cabinet and I think um, because of that there was absolutely no option for her Um, she set the rules she had to um, abide by them now um, I will say that Gladys was given some advice by I think probably a few of her former advisors not to talk to me for the book and asked some of her closest allies not to talk to me for the book and at first that worried me a little but as time went on they came around, and not because they were disloyal to Gladys and not because they felt that they wanted to go against her wishes, but because, like I, like me, they felt that her story was one worth telling. And I think it's really notable that rarely are premiers so uh, well-known and in the public eye. Um, you know, it's always the Prime Minister, of, and rightly so, who makes large statements, who, you know, is the, 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 lead, the leader who is well-known. However, what we definitely saw through the pandemic was the power and the influence that premiers can have. And I don't think it's any coincidence, really, that on the same day my book was released, a book was released in Victoria on Daniel Andrews. Now, obviously, that was timed you know, ahead of their November um, election. But, but I think both Daniel Andrews and Gladys Berejiklian um, had pivotal roles in the way we Learned to navigate COVID and the way we learnt to to live with something that nobody saw coming, and really has changed the way we will probably live for the rest of our lives and, and maybe our children's lives as well. So um, that is why I chose to write the book. And even though I'm sure, and I, I'm not sure I know that um, Berejiklian really would have rather a book not come out on her. I think, for a start, as I, I started initially. As a public figure, I think you've got a responsibility to to have your your, your um, time in history recorded, um, particularly at a time like this when it was such a, such a moment of change and uncertainty um, for all of us. Um, another question I get asked all the time is what did I discover about Gladys that I didn't know? And, you know, I was a little worried at first that perhaps because... She wasn't contributing and maybe some of her friends weren't contributing that I wouldn't find anything new. But it was incredible. I found plenty. And one thing I think was really interesting and probably goes to the heart of who Gladys Berejiklian is was that back when, my, um, sorry, when uh, Barry O'Farrell resigned from the Premiership over, you may remember, a forgotten bottle of wine, Gladys Berejiklian could have been Premier. She had the numbers to be Premier. Um, that you know, She had the support of her party room to be the next leader after Barry O'Farrell. But of course, her her good friend, the then Treasurer Mike Baird, had also had um, ambitions to be leader. I mean, they all do. Anyone who says they don't want to be Premier or Prime Minister who's in Parliament is not telling you the truth. Um, but he definitely had um, ambitions. And Gladys, perhaps, whether it be an imposter syndrome, whether it be, you know, just some um, insecurity, or whether it was just strategic, made the call that that was not the time for her to be Premier. And, I mean, I find that incredible that somebody would give up a leadership because normally they, as you know, will knife each other often just to get there. Um, And I think that she probably saw that it was Mike Baird that was better suited to the party at the time. Um, He was largely... had probably slightly more cross-factional support because he had the right wing of the party as well as the left wing supporting him, even though he was largely a a left winger. Um, Whereas the right wing often viewed Gladys Berejiklian with a little bit of cynicism and and sometimes a bit of suspicion because she is quite progressive. And I, I think she felt at that time that she didn't have their support and perhaps they would come after her. So she gave... The leadership to Mike Baird essentially and it's interesting that I, I often reflect on why we didn't know how close she came and how she, you know she literally gave up the leadership I think it's because we don't focus on the loser do we I mean Mike Baird emerged as as the premier who was ended up being a very very popular premier for a while and his star did fall quite dramatically after some poor policy decisions but you know he um he went on to do uh some pretty big reforms which has really set the state up and perhaps Gladys made the right decision. She said, um, and I'm surprised at this because Gladys does not swear, but she did say to one of her uh, close confidants that night after she'd made the decision and, and made it clear that she was handing the leadership to, um, to Barry O'Farrell, she said, the party needs me at the shit end. And sure enough, didn't they, because what came was something that nobody could have seen coming with the pandemic of course the black summer bushfires to start with I mean let's not forget in some ways it's it's easy to not quite remember how horrific that summer was when there was a day I remember sitting in Martin Place late in December and would have been 2019 and you may recall the city was choking under an orange cloud it was an awful time 25 people were killed in those black summer bushfires but again Gladys Berejiklian really led the state through those really tough times with Shane Fitzsimmons by her side and obviously later on it would be Kerry Chant by her side. Um, But I think, you know, she really um, set herself up to be a strong leader and perhaps, you know, did the right thing by not taking on the leadership if she didn't feel she was ready. And so on that as well, a lot of things I discovered about um, Berejiklian is just how progressive she was and a lot of the social policy she really got involved in that we didn't really know about and this is coming from somebody who's covered her from the opposition days in 2007 and it really struck me that you know some of the things that I often thought she some sort of policy debates I thought she dodged somewhat. Um, She was actually really involved with behind the scenes. And I think, you know, she's a political animal. She knew what she was doing. Um, And I think often she made the call that she was more useful staying out of the limelight and guiding others through particular policy debates rather than being front and centre. And so I think in that way, it's quite remarkable that she was very much, you know, she's a child of the Liberal Party. She's very tribal, but she's also incredibly political, Um, you know, as political as any any of them. And I think she made some Pretty smart decisions, probably, of where she was most useful, and perhaps where you know her skills would be better used rather than always being the the mouthpiece and the the, the one front and centre um, of the um, the policy debate. Um, the other question I always get, and I understand why, is what will ICAC find? And I my answer is always that's not for me to comment on. Um, I I really believe that they will. Be of the view that she needed to declare that relationship because what was there to lose? You know, she, let's not forget, it did emerge in, in ICAC that she declared um, two co- second cousins of hers who went on to work for the public sector. She made a declaration about somebody who wanted a position on a government board that she'd met at a function. I mean, when you set that sort of bar, I think a relationship with one of your own MPs is probably, you know, one that really needed to be um, declared. But what I will so I won't comment on what I think ICAC will find because I'm not a lawyer, and you know, it's I, I don't want to preempt anything. Um, but I will say that if the ICAC inquiry is not too damaging for clan and it is sort of a breach of the ministerial code or something like that, I am not convinced that she couldn't come back as a federal MP. I think what always shocked me was after she resigned. No, sorry, uh, sorry, in between. Her first ICAC appearance, and then resigning, um, she was at her most popular. You know, the revelations of Daryl Maguire didn't turn people against her; they people flocked to her instead. So, and she left. You know, what a strange situation where you have a premier leaving office, resigning when they're at the height of their kind of popularity. So, I think in the voters' minds, I mean, I should say there are plenty of people that do not like Gladys Berejiklian, and very, and felt that you know didn 't agree with her policy didn 't agree with her politics, and so that's you're never going to win those people over, but I think there are plenty of voters who would still support her if she was to come back and do you know a, a federal uh tilt. People tell me that North Sydney, the seat of North Sydney, would be the most likely that she would look at um, Of course, there was talk in the in the federal election in May about her running for ringa, which was just too soon that was never an option um but, you know, it, it was useful for um, Scott Morrison at the time to, you know, talk about his popular former colleague because she was very popular and, you know, that was that was fine. She was never going to run for Warringah. But I'm not convinced that, you know, maybe a federal career is still ahead of her. And I know that she says she's very happy in the corporate world and, and maybe that's where she'll stay and that would be totally understandable. But... You know, her whole life has been working, has been in public life or working towards public life, and I just wonder if maybe this isn't the last we see of Gladys Burgey Clean in that role. So, I'm now happy to take any questions if anyone has any. Yes, I do.
2: Uh, how close was Gladys to Joe Hockey and how much?
1: Very close. So Joe Hockey, of course, is also Armenian. Um, he refers to her as sort of like a little sister. They're very close. And I think he guided her, particularly in her early years when she was a minister and, or, you know, as they, the 2011 um, election landslide and where Labor, who had had a troubled, very troubled last term, obviously. Um, Joe Hockey definitely was a mentor of hers and they're very close. Joe Hockey was one person who wouldn't talk to me for the book. Like, you know, he was very... They're very, very close um, and, um, like I said, describes her as sort of a, a younger sister figure. Thank you. I've
0: got a question over here. We're going to record this for the podcast. So I'll use the microphone.
2: I wondered what your opinion is about the setting up of a federal RCAC. Are we going to be subjected to show trials in that sense?
1: Um, I know that there is, and I understand that there is a lot of um, criticism of public hearings. Um, I think that a federal ICAC is really critical, and I think the federal election result showed us that. I mean, there is the reason um, so many moderate Liberal MPs lost their seats and were replaced with Teals was because they were running on a a platform of integrity in government, and that that is a federal ICAC. Um, I think... I understand that a lot of people have concerns with the way the New South Wales ICAC is set up. Um, It's different to the Victorian model, where there's a much more reliance on public um, hearings. But let's not forget, those public hearings come after a lot of investigations as well. And I think, you know, just like a very important part of democracy is having courts open so they are, you know, so anybody can go in and watch proceedings. I I, I think the ICAC should be no different. And I do think, I understand that... People feel, you know, I, I did a talk recently when when people were saying to me, "But good people had their careers ruined, like you know Barry O'Farrell." Or, but at the end of the day, I mean, Barry O'Farrell resigned because he misled ICAC. And, you know, when are we we have to have some standards in public life, and we have to hold people to account? Um, I understand at times that um, public hearings are, you know, difficult and awkward for the people involved, but I still think they have a role. I think probably in New South Wales ICAC will be reformed in some way, um, but i don't think it's I think as soon as we start describing them as show trials we lose we lose sight of actually what the ICAC is there to set is there for, and we need these integrity bodies I mean I think just looking at some of the things that gone on either federally or at a state level, you know the car park scandal the scandals where you know money is just handed out to um, coalition seats to help them win election and I'm not saying for a second that won't happen when Labor's in power, it happens no matter who holds the purse strings, but I think we need a body to oversee that because at the moment those, that doesn't exist and so I strongly believe that there is a, a place for a federal ICAC but also the New South Wales ICAC is also very important to our democracy Thank you
3: Alexandra, I'm enjoying this I'm not as unbiased as you, I'll declare. It's okay. No problem. <laughs> uh, two things. As for a, a comeback federally, Gladys hasn't exactly covered herself in glory with Optus as the communications director. So there'll be a few people that well, want to have a slice of it for that. But that's not what I'm asking you to comment. It's outside your book. Yeah. During COVID, mm. I was stuck at home like everybody mm. and uh, I was watching those daily press conferences mm hers and Dan Andrews. Mm. The difference between the two is that she never... ..she doesn't seem to have metaphorical broad shoulders. Kerry Chant was the problem and we were the problem. Mm. She did not compliment the citizens for trying. There was no give and take. Whereas Dan Andrews just layered his press conferences with acknowledgement that the citizenry were behind it, that we were all trying.
1: Do you want to comment now, on that? I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because when you look at what Melbourne went through, it was much harsher than what we had in Sydney. Long, much longer lockdowns, but yet Dan Andrews is still incredibly popular, and will, will no doubt win the, the November election. Um, so, whatever he was able to bring his people with him, I think there is a, they're very different personalities. I don't pretend to say that I know Daniel Andrews well at all. I mean, I'm I'm very engaged in politics, obviously, and but um, I think what I would say about um, Gladys Clean is she does have quite a glass jaw and she is you know a lot of her her um some of those people close to her would tell you that she's incredibly stubborn and, and quite difficult at times um and so I think probably that came out you know she's also quite a I think she she really grew into the role but I think um you might have guessed that she really doesn't like the media and she which is sort of ironic because the media was so integral for her getting her mu- her message out every day. You know, we weren't there just to broadcast sort of a state message from, you know, state media. Like, you know, we of course we you know, whether we are in a, a TV station or a newspaper or whatever, of course we've got an audience to to cater for. But, you know, it was a sort of a somewhat I believe a partnership. Um and I think, you know, often Gladys Berejiklian didn't like being questioned and she didn't, you know, she felt that she was, you know, Always right um and probably some of the time she may well have been but you know let's not forget she did handle the, the pandemic really well but there are things that went wrong I mean I think in the second lockdown the delta lockdown was pretty problematic I think um I don't I don't think we can underestimate how much damage those 12 harshly locked down LGAs had it and and they really felt like we were in a city divided you know we had Everybody having much, much more freedoms, and then they were sort of under exercise bans, and you know had police roaming the streets. It was a pretty, a very difficult yeah, time. Only
3: in the western suburbs. Well, that's they free
1: in the well, well, that's what Northern I mean, and and that upset me as yeah, you know, and I think Gladys and of course Gladys Burridge wouldn't meet with the mayors, which I know really irritated some of her colleagues and then eventually she did but I think you know so my point is she certainly didn't get everything right in the pandemic I mean, of course she wouldn't anyway Dan Daniel, Daniel Andrews didn't no 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 leader would because like they say it's a cliche but there was no playbook so nobody really knew what they were doing um, but I think that the difference with Gladys and Dan Andrews is just such a different personality um, both hugely political though I mean Gladys I can't underestimate like Gladys is such a political animal um and her the liberal party is her whole life um which is why i think it'd be very hard for her to leave it forever i mean i'm, I'm sure she's not she, of course she's not leaving it but having such a big role as she's had for the past or well, she you know 19 years in parliament and then many more years before that in the young liberals
2: thank you alexandra a very interesting and I enjoy your columns in the Herald. Oh, good. Uh, there are two parts to my question. The first one is um, you've said that in the press gallery uh, nobody knew about the relationship with Maguire mm. yet somebody in ICAC must have, the investigators must have known because otherwise how did the revelation take place at ICAC or did she volunteer that and that's yeah. one part of the okay, question. The yep. second part of the yep. question is kind of unrelated really. Do you agree Willoughby is no longer a safe seat? Willoughby is very much marginal and, you know, uh, a friend of mine coined the term w- one-term Tim James. Mm. Um, I suspect with Gladys going, uh, Willoughby will now go the way of North, the federal to t- seats mm. around North Sydney yeah. and et cetera. And do, do you agree with that?
1: sure good thanks for that uh, first of all on the um how icac knew um I always think it must have shocked the pants off whoever is sitting there listening to the phone taps because what would have been happening was they were tapping daryl Maguire's phone because he was involved in an earlier in- he became involved in an earlier inquiry involving Canterbury city council and then of course that morphed into hit he- an inquiry into himself and because of that she would have just been picked up on the phone taps so somebody would have been sitting in the icac room and suddenly Thought, geez, I'm sure that's Gladys Berejiklian. So that's how that would have come about. Um, in terms of Willoughby, um, as I said, you know Willoughby was marginal when Gladys Berejiklian won it back in two thousand. Oh, she, you know, it was she only won it by one hundred and forty-four votes, but she made it very safe. I was surprised that, um, and of course, you know, the Liberal Party picks their candidates. So obviously, the the Liberal members within the Willoughby um, conference, as they called it decided that Tim James was the best candidate. But he does hail from the right of the party um, and I'm surprised that the party decided to to, uh, um, replace a popular moderate female with an unknown right-wing man. And I think that really showed in the results in the by-election. By-election is really tricky. You're always going to get a big swing against the government. People are always annoyed at having to go to a by-election. So it was not surprising that Obviously, he, sh- he was going to lose some of that big margin that that Berejiklian had built up. But I do think it was surprising that the pre-selectors from the Liberal Party went with Tim James. That's not to say... That's no... You know, um, I'm not in any way commenting whether Tim James would be... A, is or isn't a good MP. You know, he's been involved with the party for a very long time, has wanted to be an MP forever. Um, but, you know, also, is he the right fit for Willoughby? And obviously, you know... Uh, Larissa Penn very nearly won that seat in that by-election and the Teals, I mean it's it's slightly different in in a state situation because we have um, optional preferential voting so it's slightly harder for independents to get up but, um, you know, I do think Tim James will have a big struggle to hold the seat, particularly if you know, a high profile independent whether it be an independent or somebody kind of linked to the Teal movement runs which I'm assuming they will Um, and I think you know it's one of the it's really interesting that North Shore seats, like in the federal election will be the ones to watch, and I think Willoughby definitely could be one that we may see um, Tim James as you know a one-term MP, not even a term, of course, because he came in you know um, and particularly also you know things will tighten, but some public polling pu- publicly published polling out recently shows the coalition are well behind labor. so if the swing's on, as they say, seats like Willoughby go to.
3: Uh, thank you, Alexandra. Uh, you mentioned the popularity of Gladys, um, and certainly when she resigned there is shock and, and a lot of tears. Even this morning I was talking to someone and she was saying how she remembered crying when, uh, when Gladys resigned. Uh, there's been lots of popular premiers. Uh, what do you think is different about Gladys, Gladys, of her popularity versus other premiers that caused this kind of reaction apart from the scandal?
1: Um- I really do think it was because, as I spoke earlier about, um, yeah, other po- other premiers have been popular, but she was kind of beamed into our new uh, into our lounge rooms every day, at eleven a.m., and really led us through a particularly you know, two very difficult years. Um, and I think a lot of people felt that she did that quite well. There's an, a famous, I don't know if any of you know of it or saw it, but um, the Australian Financial Review, which is in my one of my stable mates at. Um, did a front page, a glossy front page um, picture, beautiful photo of Gladys Berejiklian with the headline, The Woman Who Saved Australia. I mean, she was really sort of held up as uh, one of the, probably her and Daniel Andrews, I would say, as the leaders that really got the country through. But I, I do maintain, had she not had been able to build up the political capital from the bushfires and the pandemic, I don't think she would have survived the first Uh, revelations I think she would have had to resign after that but I think because she was so popular they thought we you know her close allies thought we can ride this out Um, and they did for a year and not forgetting that they went on a very big charm offensive and did sort of interviews where she went on front page of the Sunday telly saying I loved him and I wanted to get married and I'll never love again I mean A lot of people were very critical of that. It went against everything Gladys usually stood for, um, but it bought her another year. It saved her. So, from a public relations exercise, I guess it was very effective. Hi, I was just going to ask about
3: um, John Barilaro. Was he a little bit of a problem to her sometimes?
1: Um, (laughs) yeah. Well, they had a a difficult relationship I think it's fair to say. You could not get, I I mentioned that Daniel Andrews and Gladys Berejiklian were different personalities John Barilaro and Gladys Berejiklian were like worlds apart Um, and I think he had a very different style in a lot of ways he was a very very, as we would say retail politician you know, gave himself, thought it was okay to give himself the uh, nickname Pork Barilaro, I mean while the rest of us are kind of like, you don't want to draw attention to pork barrelling he thought it was a fun thing to sort of you know, um, but there was a very infamous time when their relationship really hit rock bottom and it was over, it's, it's, a, it's quite niche but it was very important, some koala planning policy and Barilaro threatened to take his MPs and his ministers to the crossbench, which of course was ridiculous because it would mean he was no, they were no longer in government and he, you know, quickly realised that. But not until Gladys stood her ground and, and threatened to take go and swear in an all Liberal cabinet if he wanted to do that. Um, that relationship never recovered, you know. I think they had a very tense time and to be honest, I think after that the Liberals always feared that Barilaro might try and get some revenge on her. Um, so, you know, he he was a very popular um, minister and MP within the Nationals, but he did cause the Liberals a lot of grief. Uh,
0: another question? Oh, there's one of you.
2: Hi, Alexandra. Thanks very much for the work you do and sort of revealing lots of secrets. <laughs> um, my question is really about Gladys's blind spots. Mm. Like, she came from a banking background, as I understand it, and she was very keen on privatising things, and there were troubles with ferries and trains, and she was a transport person. Mm. She was quite, um, quite, I guess, endearing from the point of view that she was a migrant woman, came from a migrant background, Barilaro, similarly from that sort of a background in a sense. Both of them sort of not the Anglo-Saxon style of, of um, a broader nuanced approach, mm. but a strong-willed mm. migrant, new, mm. new insight to things. Yeah. I'm wondering about her blind spots um, because she was, came from this banking background and the privatisation and the outsourcing and the infrastructure ideas that she inherited from Baird in a sense. I'm wondering about the loss of TAFE as well, mm. so the privatisation there. So she was sort of had a number of blind spots and, of course, the Arrow one, to my way of thinking, was a big blind spot. She let little Johnny run his way um, and certainly a, sol- a certain amount of revelations emerged along the way because of this privatisation mm. and blind spot to things. Would you like to comment on her blind spots um, as, as, as it sort of unfolded? Yeah. And undermined a lot of her goodwill and a lot of her good drive.
1: Well, I I, and I guess what I would say to that is, you know, somebody may call, and I'm I'm not saying either way. Somebody might say privatisation is a blind spot. Other, you know, particularly liberal party members would see privatisation as the best way forward for the state. That the state shouldn't be involved in running things like ports or the poles and wires. Um, the reality is, you know, the poles and wires sale. Um, did net the state a lot of money and was a, it meant we were able to build an incredible amount of infrastructure a hundred the pipelines now up to about a hundred billion so I guess I would Gladys Berejiklian and her liberal colleagues and her national colleagues wouldn't um, de, wouldn't describe it as a blind spot because that you know it was their mission, yeah. And, you know, they, they would never... they never rule out, and I'm sure Dominic Perrottet won't rule out this time, privatising more, because that is... You know, the Liberals' view is that the state... You know, small government, the state shouldn't get involved in running at certain assets. So I think, you know... Um, her banking background's kind of interesting. It, well, she, it's not sort of like she came from... She didn't have a significantly long banking background, not sort of like Mike Bed, who was a traditional banker. Um, but, you know, she was she was just very liberal-minded and, and that was her you know position. With the John Barilaro um, I have to remember in coalition she can't control the National, like he was Deputy Premier she has no control over the Nationals leader um, he is the head of the party he runs that party and so they have to work in tandem. I mean she's the more senior of course, I mean John Barilaro used to hate it when we'd refer, when I refer to the Nationals as the junior coalition partner but of course they are, they're the junior there are many fewer seats but you know the problem, I guess, for Berejiklian was she, had, she couldn't control John Barilaro because that's, that was not appropriate, nor the way that the, a, a functioning coalition works. And we see that federally as well.
0: Uh, we've got time for just one last question. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Why do you think it's taking so long for ICAC to hand down their report? Um, ICAC is notoriously slow. Um, I do believe it's due this month, though, and the reason I believe that is because the commissioner that was overseeing her inquiry, Ruth McColl SC, um, is not ordinarily a ICAC commissioner. She was brought in. um, Interestingly, she had to be brought in because the ICAC is often... Going to the premier's office and, and they hate this financial setup, asking for more money. And so there was they were worried there'd be a conflict of interest because there's been some tension between the premier's office, not necessarily Beryl herself, the premier's office and the other commissioners. So Ruth McColl was brought in as a temporary commissioner, and her term was extended, but it expires this month, which says to me that the report will be coming this month. But you know when you look at I don't know if you remember the Friends of La- Chinese Labour um, report that involved labour and the bags of Aldi uh, bags of cash and Aldi bags that report took two years um ICAC is very slow and it's a a criticism of ICAC which is probably fair because a lot it leaves a lot of people's lives and careers hanging in the balance as they wait for these reports Um, and so I think to be honest if the Berejiklian report lands within sort of the year that's actually not that slow by ICAC standards although it does seem I mean you know people always say Supreme Court or District Court judgments have to be handed down much more quickly and that is true so I do think you know one of the things that really need to be looked at with ICAC and there has been talk of legislation that where ICAC has to respond to a report within a certain amount of time and I think that's probably necessary um, just for fairness of people being able to get on with their lives. Uh, let's all join King Alexander Smith thank you.
0: We hope you have enjoyed spending your time with us. Catch up with more of our audio recordings and relive the discussion, insights and laughter of writers at Stanton. To find out more about our other events and programs, please visit www.northsydney.nsw.gov.au library. Thank you for listening.